was at my son was not committing a crime. He was out for his daily jog and he was hunted down like an animal and killed. On February 23rd, Ahmad Arbery, a 25-year-old unarmed black man, was jogging in his Georgia neighborhood when he was followed by two older white men, a father and son, and shot to death. The case was fairly low profile until May 5th, when a video of the shooting leaked online, leading to a movement demanding justice for Ahmad and drawing attention to the reality of racial prejudice and hate crimes in America. It wasn't until this video was released over two months after the shooting that arrests were made. The mayor of Atlanta, Keisha Botos, expressed the horror of the murder and its racially charged implications, saying to the Guardian news reporters, quote, It's 2020, and this was a lynching of an African-American man, end quote. This sentiment has been echoed all over the country, mobilizing protests demanding justice. showed the world what we already knew, that black life still needs to be valued and protected. The debate over which lives are valuable and which lives are disposable in America has been a timeless struggle throughout our country's history. There is no better embodiment of this racial controversy than the American Civil War, a conflict initially framed as a fight over the constitutional right to secession, which quickly shifted into a fight to emancipate millions of enslaved African Americans. Within the first few months of the war, Frederick Douglass, an African-American man who escaped from slavery in 1838, recognized that the war was essentially a fight to recognize the humanity of the black population in America. He wrote, quote, Any attempt now to separate the freedom of the slave from the victory of the government, any attempt to secure peace to the whites while leaving the blacks in chains, will be labor lost. The American people and the government in Washington may refuse to recognize it for a time, but the execrable logic of events will force it upon them in that the war now being waged in this land is a war for and against slavery, end quote. He was right. By the time of Lincoln's second inauguration in 1865, within months of the war's conclusion, the president reflected back on the cause of the war and confirmed Douglas's conviction. In his address, Lincoln explains that, quote, one-eighth of the whole population were colored slaves, not distributed generally over the Union, but localized in the southern part of it. These slaves constituted a peculiar and powerful interest. All knew that this interest was somehow the cause of the war, end quote. Whether it was widely accepted at first or not, the American Civil War was the very embodiment of the country's continual conflict over who gets to be free and whose life is considered valuable. If the war was essentially a fight over slavery, it is therefore crucial to ask the question, who freed the slaves? Historian Ira Berlin writes that, quote, the debate over origins of emancipation in the American South can be parsed in such a way as to divide historians into two camps, those who understand emancipation as the slaves struggle to free themselves and those who see the great emancipator's hand at work, end quote. Whether the Union victory hinged on the key leadership of President Abraham Lincoln or on the small yet equally necessary actions of the African-American community is a debate even among historians. Berlin argues for a narrative starring the slaves themselves, saying that, quote, the slaves resolute determination to secure their liberty converted many white Americans to the view that the security of the Union depended upon the destruction of slavery. 
Eventually, this belief tipped the balance in favor of freedom, even among those who had little interest in the question of slavery and no love for black people. Thus, in many ways, slaves set others in motion. Slaves were the prime movers in the emancipation drama, not the sole movers, end quote. Without those who claimed their own freedom, those who aided Union soldiers, those who told their stories, the war would never have been about slavery in the first place. This conclusion is far from universal, however. Historian James McPherson argues that, quote, even on a large scale, such emancipation was very different from abolition of the institution of slavery. That required Union victory. It required Lincoln's re-election in 1864. It required the 13th Amendment. Lincoln played a vital role in all of these achievements, end quote. To McPherson, Lincoln's ability to gain support and make key legal moves at precisely the right time rightfully earned him the praise he has received as the nation's great emancipator. This question, who freed the slaves, embodies the timeless historical question of whether we should study history from the perspective of those in power or those marginalized in society. Often the loudest and most prominent historical voices are inevitably those with the power to tell their story, but in the case of the Civil War, that means that the fight to end slavery is told by the white oppressors, not the people who actually experienced slavery and the emotions of emancipation firsthand. Ultimately, separating the stories of the different actors in our nation's moral drama is unreasonable. Berlin concludes that a complex understanding of history is the goal. He writes that, quote, both Lincoln and the slaves played their appointed parts in the drama of emancipation. From an historian's perspective, denying their complementary roles limits understanding of the complex interaction of human agency and events which resulted in slavery's demise, end quote. When looking back on the Civil War, it is important to examine the stories of both the top and the bottom. It is critical to emphasize the stories of those with the least social power, however, because those are the voices that are consistently overlooked and silenced. Historian David Blight expresses the belief that the most effective way to learn is to be, quote, taught by events, end quote. So if we wanted to answer the question, who freed the slaves, perhaps the place we should turn is to the actual events and actions taken to end slavery. When asked to rank who had done the most to end slavery by 1860 in class, my list read, Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass, Harriet Beecher Stowe, John Brown, William Lloyd Garrison, Abraham Lincoln. Perhaps of note is that the top two abolitionists on my list are Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass, two former slaves who not only took their own freedom, but used their liberty to help others to do the same. Tubman biographer Catherine Clinton writes that, quote, Harriet Tubman had been a liberator, a woman who stood up to the slave power and a warrior whose actions spoke louder than words. Unlike most women born into slavery, she seized the roads of freedom, not just for herself, but also for her family and others during her decade-long association with the Underground Railroad, end quote. Tubman is the very embodiment of actions speak louder than words, as she dedicated her new life of self-taken freedom to placing herself in danger again and again to bring more slaves to freedom as well. She understood firsthand the suffering of those who were enslaved and the urgency for emancipation. In her own words, she said, quote, there are one of two things I had a right to, liberty or death. If I could not have one, I would have the other, end quote. Her dedication to risking her life for freedom made her an emblem of what it means to fight for emancipation through action. Frederick Douglass also used his freedom to continue the fight for emancipation after escaping from slavery as well. He wrote one of the first and most famous accounts of slavery in his memoir, The Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass, using his freedom to tell his story. He continued to speak out against the stinging irony of our country throughout his life and aided the Underground Railroad. 
Like Tubman, he realized the urgency of emancipation was not worth forming theories about if you weren't going to take action. In 1882, he said that, quote, Nations seldom listen to advice from individuals, however reasonable. They are taught less by theories than by facts and events, end quote. The actions taken by Tubman, Douglas, and countless others in securing their own freedom and helping others do the same shows more than any law or theory the horrors of slavery and the urgency for emancipation. These figures risk the most to end slavery because they were not protected by whiteness or social power, yet are often discredited their cru crucial role. What impact did these actions really make, though? In order to understand how the Civil War impacts us today, it is important to examine what immediate impact the war had after it ended. The reactions from the white population during Reconstruction not only reveal who truly maintained power, but also reflect social trends that continue today. Even after the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments abolished slavery and established significant legal steps towards equality, and even though Reconstruction started out as a surprising success at incorporating former slaves into the new post-war society, it is ultimately evident that white supremacists and hateful narratives would be the victors. Groups such as the Daughters of Confederacy had a monumental, no pun intended, impact on the story of the war by perpetuating the lost cause memory tradition that emphasized the bravery and honor of the South over the clear moral evil that it stood for. Jim Crow laws embedded systematic racism into our country, allowing more than 3,000 lynchings of African Americans despite the laws that had supposedly established equality. Historian W.E.B. Du Bois writes that, quote, The price of the disaster of slavery and civil war was the necessity of quickly assimilating into American democracy a mass of ignorant laborers in whose hands alone for the moment lay the power of preserving the ideals of popular government, of overthrowing a slave economy and establishing upon it an industry primarily for the profit of the workers. It was this price which in the end America refused to pay and today suffers for that refusal, end quote. Because the country prioritized the integration of the southern states peacefully into the nation's economy rather than the integration of black and white citizens into an equi equitable society, our civil war over who deserves freedom and whose life matters continues to this day. At the 24th anniversary of the Emancipation Proclamation in 1887, Frederick Douglass echoed Du Bois's sentiment that America continues to suffer from failing to assimilate African Americans into society with dignity. He said that, quote, where justice is denied, where poverty is enforced, where ignorance prevails, and where any one class is made to feel that society is an organized conspiracy to oppress, rob, and degrade them, neither persons nor property will be safe. End quote. As long as men like Ahmaud Arbery can't go for a run without fear of hate, violence, or death, the fight of the Civil War continues. Civil rights protest posters in the 1960s, which simply read, I am a man, and the current Black Lives Matter movement, both reveal how the controversy of the American Civil War reverberates to this day as we continue to wrestle with who gets to be free and whose life is protected. Until we are able to reconcile with our painful past and the complexity of what freedom means, the ideals supposedly won by the Civil War remain a dream. While much progress has certainly been made since the 1800s, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s famous speech continues to haunt us to this day because it reminds us that equality is still a dream for our country and not a reality. No, we are not satisfied, and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. I have a dream that one day 
This nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. This is our hope. This is a faith that I go back to the South with. It happens when we allow freedom to ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city. We will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last.